Well, good morning. And welcome to Springbrook. God just loves when we get together to worship Him. So thank you for coming. How many of you saw the movie Unbroken about Zapparini who was in the prison camp? Everybody? Okay. Oh, you've got to see the movie. But then you've got to read the book. How many have read the book? Oh, much better, huh? Much better. I just got done with it. I think it was like 12 hours long on audio. And it was just unbelievable how God worked through this man. He's a rebellious teenager. And then he got into running. And he eventually ran in the 1936 Olympics in Germany. And he even met, met Adolf Hitler. And then the war started. And so he signed up and he was in a, a B-24 bomber and they crashed into the Pacific and he spent 47 days out in the open sea with no food and no bread. Nothing. Nothing to drink. So they had to do their best and uh, they were you know, kicking away the sharks. I mean, when you read it, it's just like, oh, what a terrible experience. They were eating albatrosses and whatever they, they could find. And then they, they were rescued. The plane came. That's good news. Uh, bad news, it was the Japanese. So uh, they picked him up and they took him to a prison camp where Louis was tortured. He really was. There was a, a commander called the Bird who just continued to beat him day after day after day. And he lived through it. And eventually, he came back home. And as a lot of soldiers do, they, they suffer from post-traumatic stress syndrome. And he did that. And he fell into alcoholism. And his wife was ready to divorce him. And then he went to a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles. It was the first crusade where, you know, they really took off. Because uh, I had a lot of media coverage and just night after night after night. And his wife came first and she became a Christian. And then Louis came. Then he became a Christian. And now, for the rest of his life, he lives about 97, he has been testifying to the Lord's work in his life. Now you think about that kind of life, right? You think about that kind of life. And in the movie, they don't talk about the fact that he was an alcoholic or he became a, a Christ follower. And that's the best stuff in the whole book. So here he was, you know, tough childhood, went to the Olympics, and then he went into war, and then he went into the water, <laughs> crash-landed. Then he went to prison, cramp, prison camp, and he was, he was brutally beaten. And then he fell into alcoholism. And then he found Jesus Christ. And the most unbelievable thing about it is that he was able to forgive the bird. This one person who tortured him for years. And that's the power of Christ, right? That we can forgive people who've hurt us so often. Now, why I talk about this, I want to talk about divine providence. Divine providence is the governance of God by which He 
with wisdom and love, cares for and directs all things in a universe. Last week we talked about Naomi and the, the theology of suffering. The fact that suffering is part of the world. It's because of the curse on the world that we die. And thankfully we die. We don't have to live here forever. And Naomi went through a really tough time in her life. And we look at her life and just the challenges she had. Uh, She left with her husband from Israel to go to Moab where there was some food a family was going on. And, And then her husband died and her two sons died. So she was left with two daughter-in-laws. One daughter-in-law went back to Moab to worship the god of Moab. But Ruth, Ruth had become a believer in Jehovah, the Israelite God, the only God. And so she went back with Naomi. In fact, Naomi, you think about going through all of that. And now they were here in Israel and they were poor and they were destitute. Yeah. Naomi had a pretty rough life. And and Ruth chose to go with her. Ruth chose to go with her. In Ruth 1.20, we read about Naomi's thoughts about her life. She said to uh, the family she came back to, the village, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly. With me. And she was right. He had dealt bitterly. He doesn't cause sin, God, but sometimes He allows the effects of sins into our life in order that we might mature and glorify Him. Because that's the main reason we're here on earth, right? To glorify God, to give credit to God. No matter how difficult our lives might be, it's a testimony to God's power that He brings us through it all. She had a bitter outlook. And she was just honest. I mean, she still believed God. She still loved God. But suffering does come. So, we pick it up in Ruth 2.1. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's worthy man of the clan of Abimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, he is a very, very important character. And notice that he is a relative. Ruth 2.2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after them in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. What do we see here? We see a wonderful daughter-in-law. Ruth was growing old. and uh, <laughs> yeah. Ruth didn't say, or Ellie was growing old, Naomi. And Ruth didn't say, well, you know, I'm going to kick back here uh, and I'm going to let Ruth, hey, this is your territory. You go out and find whatever you need to find and I'll go out with you tomorrow. She wasn't lazy, right? She took the initiative. She knew it was her responsibility to care for her aging mother-in-law. It's so important. How many of you right now are caring for elderly parents or for a spouse? Okay, yeah. 
It's challenging. I can remember when my dad has Alzheimer's, uh, when he was about 80, and he lived eight more years. And so I kind of watched over him and uh, gave the caregiving. And it just kind of consumes your life when you're going through that type of period because you always have to be there. You always have to be monitoring things. I called him every day, and you have to run out there when you need to. He's in Rockford. And, and he disowned me several times. This was coming from my dad's mouth. I'm thinking, it really hurt. But then I realized it was the Alzheimer's speaking, right? It's hard to separate those two. It's kind of funny, too, because uh, just before we got him to a nursing home, he, he was thinking that I uh, was the gang leader of the neighbors, and I was leading all his neighbors against him. And Wesley, my teenager, he was the youth pastor. <laughs> he had a gang of, of kids. You know, you got to laugh, right? But I want to encourage all of you who are taking care of a spouse or an elderly parent or your caregiver, keep care, caring. Keep loving these people because everything you do for them, you're obeying the commandment, honor your father and your mother. And I know how it is. You get frustrated in life, you know, too many things going on. But you've got to remember that you're obeying one of the Ten Commandments. And it's your responsibility. And even if you didn't have the best relationship with your mom and dad, that happens sometimes, right? I'm not taking care of them. Look how they treated me in our relationship. Uh, but you still have the you still have the responsibility, right? I mean, however they treated you, you need to honor your father and your mother. And that was what she did. Now, this whole idea of gleaning in the fields, back in the Old Testament, the law spoke of the fact to care for the the widows, because again, they didn't have a husband making money, so they were poor. Every widow was poor. And the destitute, uh, they would reap the harvest, uh, but they wouldn't reap the very sides. Okay, so on the outside, uh, they didn't reap that. And so those who were poor and disadvantaged would come after the reapers had gone through, and the reapers were told not to pick up the extra barley or wheat that they didn't get in the first particular uh, round. And then these women mostly would come and they would pick up this stuff. And, and it was a hard job. And it was a backbreaking job. It's not like they got a lot of stuff. Back when I was younger in college, I was commuting up to Trinity Seminary. And I went to a toll booth, and I opened my door, and I saw quarters all over the place. And I said, oh, these are people who missed it, but they eventually paid the amount, so I think I'll take them. I mean, free money, right? <laughs> I did that for a little bit, and somebody told me it was illegal. <laughs> I said, but they paid the government. They paid the government. Of course, the government always wants a little bit more, but just imagine if that was your job. Going through all the states, stopping at toll booths to collect quarters. 
That's what it was like to be a gleaner. They were gleaning the fields. They were picking up what they needed. So she set out, that is Naomi, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. That's the way it was supposed to go, right? And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. All right. <laughs> so here we have Ruth. And she's out there. And I imagine she's kind of fearful. This is a foreign land. It's not, you know, not what she's used to. And she's willing to go out and take the initiative and ask different people who uh, old land or their servants, you know, can we glean here? That takes a lot of guts, doesn't it? So she set out and went and gleaned. And when you look at divine providence, you look at Ruth's life, right? She, she marries an Israelite in Moab. And when he dies, she has to make a choice. She can go back to home, which she's familiar with and comfortable with, uh, the Moabite gods. Or is she going to go with Naomi and live in poverty the rest of her life? If she went back to Moab, she probably could have got married. But she went into poverty. And, and what, a, what a godly woman, right? She was willing to go into a life of poverty to care for Naomi. So, this is all God's providence, all right? So, then she said, I'll go out and get the gleanings. And then she came back and talked about, uh, of course, that uh, she met Boaz. Now, it's interesting that in this verse, where it says, happened to come, in the original language, it means just by luck. Just happened chance, one might say. Now, again, they stated it in that way, but we know, of course, that God guided every step. He was the one who had been like leave and go into Moab and marry Moabite women, and the sons died, and they came back, and they're going to have face poverty for the rest of their life, and all of a sudden, oh, you know, life starts to turn around. Now, that doesn't mean that your problems are going to go away. We've talked about that, right? But in God's divine providence, providence there's you know, good times and, and there's tough times. So this is all planned out by God. The heart of man's plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now, we make great plans for our lives, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we got exactly... An idea of where we're going. But the problem is, is that many times it doesn't go that way. Because we just ask God to kind of approve the plans, and God says, no, i got a different path for you. And then you get ticked off, right? Why did you bring me down this path? This is a, this is a painful path. What are you doing to me? Well, God is working out. A beautiful work in your life that's going to glorify Him. Now you think this doesn't make any sense, but God is in control. He 
is provident. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So they're all working and Boaz comes along. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Imagine going into your office, you've got all the cubes and things like that. The Lord bless you! You might hear a swear word back. I don't know what you would hear, but this shows that Boaz, you know, he really lived a life. He really walked with God and he cooperated with his employees. He said, again, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. What an amazing thing. Sometimes we have jobs that we're not crazy about. Sometimes we have jobs that we hate. And, and it's really difficult, isn't it? Because that takes a lot of your life, your work time. And what God tells us to do is to remember that we are serving Jesus Christ. He is our boss. He is our Lord. And whatever job you're in, God puts you there intentionally as a missionary, right? We talk about gospel friends and relationships and just loving people to Jesus. He puts you in that particular spot. He puts you in a particular home, the Bible says, for his purposes. I get jealous of you guys sometimes. Probably not too long if I talk to you about your job, but <laughs> wouldn't it be great to be surrounded by unbelievers, because again, you might be. How, how many are the only Christ follower in your office, business, organization? That's hard, isn't it? You know, you're thinking this is a waste of time. Nothing is going to happen with these people. Well, you never know that. All you do is you show the kindness of God. How many are uh, fans of Dairy Mart? Yeah, Dairy Mart fans, one. Come on, some of you guys aren't telling us the truth. Who, who prefers Dairy Queen? Dairy Queen. All right, a few more. <laughs> well, there's, sto there's a story about a teenager, I believe, who was working at a Dairy Queen, and he was serving a blind man. And the blind man dropped $20. Of course, he didn't know that. The woman behind him grabbed it up and put it in her you know, Jerry was watching this, and he told the woman, you need to give the $20 back to the man. And she said, that, I, I, that's my money. So what the, what the kid did is he, he took out his wallet and gave the blind man $20. That's kindness. That's generosity. In fact, somebody was watching in line, and they sent an email to corporate saying, hey, you've got an exemplary employee here. And then Dairy Queen made that viral. And then, get this, Warren Buffett calls Jerry because he's a large investor in Dairy Queen. And he says, I want you to come to our investors board meeting because I want to talk about the values we have in our stores. That's great, isn't it? You know, when somebody is kind to somebody and is recognized, and you say, hey, listen, I'm being kind to people at my work, and all I get is push back. What am I supposed to do then? Well, you just continue to be kind to them, right? 
you, you're patient with them. Does anybody work with somebody that you tend to get impatient with? Of course. <laughs> you're patient with them. Uh, you're forgiving. You're graceful. Uh, you are a missionary there. And you might never get the chance to share the gospel. You probably can talk about what church you go to and prayer requests have been answered depending on what kind of job you're in. And, and Warren Buffett is not going to call you up. And so sometimes you just get tired. Oh, same job, same day. I have to reach these people for Jesus. Nothing's happening. I'm tired. And who, who's going to notice anyway? Is Warren Buffett going to notice? No! Is the God of the universe going to notice? Yes! Every, every time you do a kind thing, care for other people, nobody knows that you have an audience of one, right? And that is what should spur us on as we go out and uh, in our jobs be a witness. And try to find a gospel friend. But remember, it's never wasted, even if the person blows you off. How can you serve people in your office? Are you kind to others? Are you kind to the person that's not kind to other, or that's not treated well? Do you gossip? Oh, please don't gossip, right? It's so common, uh, but at the same time, it's wrong. And people will know that you don't want to gossip. So you have to sit at the end uh, the lunch table, all right? They don't want to talk with you because you are not into their stuff, but they know that, right? People are always watching you, and that's the whole goal is that we live in a different way. We do amazing things by loving people who are unlovable to the power of Christ. And we shine, and we might not see it, but when we get to heaven, we'll be surprised at how God Used us. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? He's very observant. Then in verse 6, And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. Again, it's a small village from the country of Moab. And she said to the servant, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She was given 110% to being a gleaner. And the question we need to ask as we seek to glorify God, what, what kind of percentage are we putting in at our job? Just kind of riding along, you know, not taking much initiative. Hey, life is cool. i got extra hours to burn. Are we giving ourselves to God's company? Right? Where, where, would your, where would your sense of engagement be in your job? How would you rate this past week? 50%, 75%, 90%. Well, again, you really need to work at remembering that God is your boss and you're in a mission field. And I know we all have tough jobs, tough days, things like that. But you're there for a very special reason. 
Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. So she was kind of given a promotion from just being a regular uh, widow uh, who was collecting uh, the gleanings. Uh, she stepped up to be among his woman, women in the sense that they did a particular job and were more involved and probably got more uh, wheat or barley. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. So go, over my, go after my young maidens. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Wow, I mean, it was a dangerous business, really, back in that day. A lot of bad things happened. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. I mean, that's the best water right there. If she was a widow, maybe she would have to walk, you know, a half a mile to get some water. But he says, you sit down right there. I mean, you can just think about Ruth, right? Foreigner, poor doesn't seem like life has given her any breaks. And all of a sudden, she just wanders onto this field, and Boaz takes notice, and she gets extremely good treatment. You know, I think Boaz has a thing for her. I'm not sure. You know, you know probably get hit by the love drug, and, and I'll take care of you, babe. What about that? Right? Ruth 2.10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that she, you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She, she doesn't know what's going on. She's so confused. It's like, what's the deal? Why are you treating me in a special way? And Boaz said, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Her reputation went before her, right? Small village, you know, everybody's talking about it. <laughs> yeah. He had heard about it, and he was so impressed with that that she would sacrifice and that she would give herself to Naomi. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward will be given to you by the Lord. The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Isn't that beautiful? Why was she so blessed? Why? What's the answer? Because she was under the wings of God. She was obedient to him. And it wasn't a, a very pleasant future that she had, but she was obedient to him in that most difficult time. Under, under whose wings you have come to take refuge? In the Old Testament, uh, we see this analogy all the time talking about God. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me for... In you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. You have storms going on in your life right now? Things are out of whack. Not certainly what you plan for. I mean, you're hurting. What are you to do? 
you are to go to God and say, God, I am depending on you. I'm putting my trust in you for my entire life. You have divine providence. You're the one who, again, is over all the world and its activities. And I'm just going to rest behind your wings. It's the idea of resting. Usually when things aren't going well, we're just all over the place trying to solve problems, trying to figure out how can I get rid of this issue in my life. And what does God say? Hey, hey, hey. you relax. You relax. I'll show you what to do. Just, just come underneath my wings. This is an eagle and a little baby. Yeah. Eagles are a majestic bird. Of course, as we know here in the States. But just think think of you as the, <laughs> the eaglet. Okay? That's you. You're the eaglet. And that's God standing over you. I mean, he, he can't get closer to his mother, right? And, and that's what we need to understand. Sometimes people have the wrong view of God. But we all do. And as we continue to grow... In our faith, we see Him more clearly and clearly. I just love that picture. Because again, we see in the Old Testament, that's the way God wants to care for us. Now, Jesus wanted to care for the Israelites when He came back, or when He first was born and grew up to be an adult. But they rejected Him. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and the stones, those are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So God said, come. Come. Find rest in Me. Find strength in Me. Find guidance and protection. But they rejected Him, right? They were proud. James 4, 6 says, But He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride people, proud people that is, are not under the wings of God. They don't think they need His protection. The gauge how much you're under His wings. Just think about the last week. How many times did you depend upon God? How many times did you go to prayer and say, Lord, help me in this area. Give me wisdom here. I want to be under Your wings. Because it takes humility. And we as (laughs) sinful creatures... uh, we want to do it ourselves, right? A good old American way. And God says, no. If you're going to live the life that I've called you to live, you're going to be underneath my wings. And you're going to trust in me. Even when it's black, you can't see anything in front of you. You're going to trust in me because of a divine providence. And because I love you. I'm sure there are people here we're struggling with pride. They're going through an issue and, and they just keep trying to solve it and they are not humble 
They will not get under the wings of God because they want to do it themselves. If you are in that situation, I challenge you to repent. It's really weird because you can be going along and say, okay, you know, I'm a good Christian, I'm trying to do my best, and all that type of thing. But you never depend on God for much. You say, well, I can kind of handle this. And so we think that our Christian life is healthy, but we're sick. We're sick with pride. And we just have to humble ourselves and say, Lord, You are my Lord. And I want to follow You. Ruth 2.14, And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Golden Corral, right? You can keep going back, and, and, and you know nobody's going to come up to you. Hey, I think you've had enough. Uh, you're going to ruin our profits for today. No! You spent all afternoon feeding your face. And Naomi, here she was, a poor woman, was used to just minimal meals of, of different types of wheat and barley and things of that nature. And now she's at the Golden Corral, right? She's sitting with Boaz. Just come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers. She's moving up again, right? With the woman, and now she's good with the reapers. And he passed her her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. Isn't that beautiful? When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. And do not approach her. Well, now she's become a reaper. She can go right to the middle of that uh, field and take it. I mean, it's just, I mean, she's going, like, wow, I can't believe this. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. That is the origination of the doggy bag. Right? I mean, she couldn't eat anymore. And so they gave the rest of her meal. Plus, she got a, like a trash can full of uh, wheat and barley. And uh, <laughs> it's true. Now, they, dogs were pests back in the day. They were wild. People hated dogs. So they probably called it something else. And Emily said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So here you have Naomi just struggling with bitterness over, What is God doing in my life? And all of a sudden, in one day it all changes. Her future changes because, again, Boaz is a relative. And he can marry Ruth. And everything changes after that, right? This, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. We'll talk a lot more about that next week. 
So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaned until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. What a tremendous story, huh? About God's divine providence. You're saying, that's not happening to me right now. In fact, if you were to look at me, I look like this. There's a bunch of threads everywhere and everything's disorganized and there's stains and I just can't see the big picture. Or if you turn it over the tapestry, there's something beautiful. Well, you're looking at this. You need to trust God. Wherever you are at in life, whatever you've done, it doesn't matter to be looking at the big picture. Trust God that He's He's creating the big picture, even though it sometimes can be painful. So I just want us to really think about, are we really resting under the wings of God? Deb Wallace is going to come out right now. And we have something called My Story here at Springbrook, where we just have a people who God has done great things in their lives and Provided for them to share their story. So, yeah. It's on. <laughs> um, in um, 2013, I was diagnosed with a very lethal form of cancer called neuroendocrine small cell carcinoma. Big name. Also referred to as Merkel cell. At that time, I had um, five-hour surgery to remove it I um, on my face. I... Um, had uh, 40 treatments of radiation, which is a huge amount, every day for three months. I also had chemo. Um, after that, um, uh, I want to add, too, that I uh, was on hospice for a short time at that point because um, my kidneys began to fail. After that, I regained my health to a certain point. I uh, moved here close to my daughter and started coming to Springbrook and was fairly healthy. Um, but in December of this year, I started having symptoms of nausea and vomiting. Um, at first, they thought it was a stomach virus, and then my doctor said, well, maybe it's an inner ear problem, um, and it went on and on for months. Finally, I went to my oncologist, which is cancer doctor, and they did a battery of tests, MRIs, CAT scans, ultrasounds, and they found three masses in my body. One was on my leg. One was in my abdomen, and one was in my brain. Um, the prognosis was not good. They uh, diagnosed the one in my leg as being um, Merkel cell or the very lethal form of cancer. I knew from having this type of cancer that uh, only 97 per 97% of the people do not live past three years. I was on my fourth year. Um, so... Um, I was uh, shaking as far as, you know, what my future held. Um, at that point, uh, I had surgery. I had two lab tests that said that they actually sent it out to the Mayo Clinic because it's a rare kind of form of cancer. So they sent it out, and, yes, it was neuroendocrine small cell carcinoma. Um, I had the mass on my leg removed. And when the pathology came back, there was no cancer. Even though it had been 
diagnosed from a piece of that same mass twice as cancer. When I had it removed, there was no cancer. Amen. I then had the mass in my abdomen removed, um, and there was it was completely benign, no cancer. Um, they're leaving the one in my brain alone and just monitoring it. Um, however, all the symptoms I was having, the nausea, the vomiting, the, um, uh, you know, I was having palpitations. I was having, uh, I was so tired. I wanted to sleep 20 hours a day. It was, it was bad. And, um, all of those, I, I started to plan my funeral. I was making out my will. Um, I had a very, um, I guess my faith was really shaken at that point. And I wasn't really looking to the future. But when I was healed, he not only healed my leg, but he healed my attitude. And I knew at that point that God had a future for me, that the journey goes on, and that um, I have the privilege of continuing to serve here at Springbrook. And I praise God every day when I wake up and I feel great. I also have a pain in my head. I have not had any pain for over two weeks, which... The doctors don't know why that's happening either. So <laughs> God is healing me from head to toe, complete healing. And um, another little bit of information. When the first person I prayed for this morning was somebody who is fighting cancer. So there is hope as long as there is breath in your body. God has hand on your life. And there is a chance that you will have a continued journey. Whatever God's plan for you, it's what's best. And I praise God and I thank God for the opportunity for sharing this. Amen. Thank you so much, Deb, for telling us your story of... uh, God's divine providence in your life. I'm sure you've been looking at the back of that tapestry for a long time, right? Yeah. It gets darker and darker and darker. But on the other side, God is creating something beautiful. And I've had the chance to serve with you. And, uh, yeah, you're you're a special vessel of God. And uh, so... Let's close our message in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just rejoice over Deb's testimony. How she's glorified you this morning, saying, You can trust God, even in the darkest of times. Lord, I pray that you would just heal her completely. Let the brain issue go away and the others and... uh, Lord, we thank you for her faith that she has shared with us today. In Christ's name, amen.